0: hello again and welcome to volume three of the feed the ball salon brought to you courtesy of golf digest my co-host jim urbina and i continue to hope everyone listening is safe and healthy and we appreciate that you're spending time with us our ultimate aim is to not allow this time most of us are spending at home to go to waste so we're dialing up people we know and people we would like to know To take advantage of this rare gift of time, to have the kinds of conversations about golf and design we wouldn't ordinarily get the opportunity to have. The last volume featured a profound conversation with Bill Coor about greens and green design. In this volume, we're going to speak with Canadian designer Jeff Mingay, who began his career as a shaper and now specializes in renovating and restoring courses throughout Canada and the United States. The topic is St. Andrews, One of the broadest possible starting points for a discussion, but we're going to focus on the design of the golf course and how it's influenced, and how it hasn't influenced, architecture and golf courses that came after it. So once more, thank you for downloading and joining us in the salon. If you have questions for Jim or any other guests you'd like to hear us talk to, send them directly to me on Twitter at FeedTheBall or via email at Derek underscore Duncan at Discovery.com. Now let's talk about the old course.
1: Hey, Derek, I'd like to read this to you. it's, it's really s- speaks in, in, in the spirit of what I think about all the time. I'd like to hear it. I, li- I draw a lot of my inspiration from Golden Age Designs books, writers of that time. And this is from the architectural side of golf. And it says, quote, In the old spirit of golf, however, two and two frequently made five. The luck was regarded as part of the legitimate fun of the game without which, as a sport, the game would suffer. The attraction that counted the most was the test of the ingenuity and getting around difficulties and overcoming new and unexpected situations. In the final result, the best man generally won. If he did not, it merely went to prove that there was no infallible system possible, even to the most modern of us. End quote. That really speaks to me about the game about the fun, about the ingenuity and in, in, in overcoming obstacles. And sometimes I think we lose track of that. And as we talk about St. Andrews and as we talk about other golf courses that that at least require you to think a little bit, uh, I think that passage speaks highly from Weatherton-Simpson, the architectural side of golf.
0: I'm always so impressed when I read, Writers and architects from that era about how they viewed the game, and it's really it's a little hard to put your finger on, but there is something fundamentally different. They did view it as you just said a game, and I'm not sure how to juxtapose that against what happened you know throughout the rest of the twentieth century and into our modern century now. but there is a sporting element that you don't always find I mean people are free to enjoy golf and they should enjoy golf for their own reason in their own ways, but those guys like Simpson and you know Colt and obviously McDonald they just viewed golf a little differently than we do now it was more of a, a an engagement in a way that we don't engage now it seems and uh, again like i said i can't quite put my finger on it but you can imagine that kind of spirit playing out on a course like st andrews and how when you when you have that desire to joust with your opponent and then joust with the course rather than just being like technical and trying to shoot a score. And then you put that attitude on the old course, you can get some, some really dynamic epiphanal <laughs> moments. I think Wow, that was, a, I don't think that's that a was, word.
1: <laughs> no, that if it is a word, if it isn't, let's make, let's make it a word. That was <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Well, I made uh, you made me sit back in my seat. Epiph- I like it. I'm not going to even repeat it. I like it. Quote it, Derek Duncan. I'm t- take Good it. Job. Okay,
0: <laughs> thanks for the great show, everybody. We're out. <laughs> Good one. So we are talking about the old course today, and our guest is is Jeff Mingay, and we're going to bring Jeff on in just a moment. You mentioned that you love to read, as do I, uh, the writings from the golden age and that great era of literature and architecture. I I think some of the best golf writing also came from decades later and one of the the great writers who i'm particularly fond of is charles price and this is a passage i posted on in one of his essays i posted this on twitter a number of weeks ago and got an interesting reaction and i want to get your reaction to it and this is um charles price uh, speaking about saint andrews he says quote the first thing you ask your caddy about the old course when you step up to the first tee is where is it in front of you, there's nothing even remotely resembling a golf course, just a sea of rolling gray mounds leading nowhere, a metaphysical morass of emptiness, devoid of challenge or even direction. I've seen empty parking lots that were more beautiful, unquote. <laughs> before, and before you uh, react potentially like people on Twitter did, which was outrage, like how could he say this about the old course, I will point out that... Y- Charles price was very fond of the old course. He's, he's a humor writer in a way. So he's, that's a, that's a joke that, that last line there. And he came to appreciate the old course as did Bobby Jones, who it took a number of times for him to come to appreciate it as is the case with most people. But there's something in that description that, that price writes about that's true. Is that not right, Jim?
1: Well, you know what? I, I, I like that and I sat back and I thought about what he, what, he was trying to grab from the caddy that first instinct, that first, that first information packet that he would get. And it's funny, a caddy almost inevitably will make your game at St. Andrews for the first time players more enjoyable because when you stand on the first tee, it is a sea of fescues and, and whimsical grasses and dunes. And you don't really know where to go except Towards the, towards the burn and, and towards the green in the distance, so I don't mind that explanation. I don't mind that uncertainty. I don't mind the spirit of adventure, as as uh, some golden age architects have described it. But you see, Derek, I tend to lean towards playing a match play, and I am not of the card and pencil spirit. As Mackenzie once described people who are only interested in gathering threes, fours, and fives on their scorecard. I am more of the spirit of the match play, so I could totally understand where Price came up with that. And I find it interesting that he asked a caddy to explain to me where I go. Uh, it's kind of interesting, and someday I'll read a passage from you about an architect Uh, a writer describing an architect of Pasatiempo. I'll describe that letter, and it's similar to what Bryce asked the caddy. Where do I go? Where is my adventure? Do I have the spirit to conquer it? Do I have the chance to 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 problem solve as i go out and play the game of golf and you know derek if we go play sometime it will be a match play i i won't carry any pencil i won't carry a scorecard it'll just be me and you against each other and against the inter uh, the entertainment that the golf course provides wherever it may be
0: i would look forward to that day i have not there's not been a pencil in my pocket for probably a decade, so <laughs> I'm, I'm simpatico with that. And that sense of, of wonder that you get going around St. Andrews and bewilderment and at needing to ask, where do I go? Uh, not being not having a defined way to play the golf course. I have a feeling that is going to come up in our talk with Jeff Mingay. So if you don't mind, Jim, I think we should go to that talk that we had with Jeff and let's get right into it.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it.
0: start off Jeff because the topic that you spoke about that you thought you would be interested in talking about it immediately hit me as a brilliant subject and of course when we talk about the old course at St. Andrews that discussion can go a thousand different ways and you can spend a thousand hours talking about it and you kind of almost wonder oh, gosh what's what's left to say but you posed this you had recently gave a presentation at, uh, to turf students and you said that uh, the kids may not know much about the old course a lot of them didn't know much about it at all. And they had a kind of a very simple, but profound question. And that is if, if the old course is so great and we can debate whether it is great, if it is so great, why hasn't it been mimicked more throughout history? What, how yeah. do you respond to that?
2: Well, you know, to be honest, I, I've been doing this presentation. It's sort of a watershed moments in golf course architecture type presentation for, Uh, for the turf students at University of Guelph here near Toronto. I think I've done it four or five years in a row now, and I I just did it a few weeks ago again, or I guess it was the end of January. But um, as you just described, yeah, I talk about how, quote-unquote, great the old course is to a bunch of young kids who are just learning golf, have no familiarity with St. Andrews. And when I'm done describing all the merits of (laughs) the old course... Uh, I've consistently gotten that uh, that response: is well, why aren't there other golf courses exactly like you just described? And it's 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 kind of it strikes me, you know, annually, uh, every time I hear that, um, and it's it really it really struck me um, this particular time, the fourth or fifth time that I that I got that uh, question, uh, you know, four or five times in a row. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to answer, which is one of the reasons I wanted uh, to discuss it to, in this forum.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, of course, it, it is. Uh, copied in certain ways. But I think you, you're correct in, in that it, it, it remains after hundreds and hundreds of years, still the most unique golf course on the planet. I mean, that, does it, Jim, does it defy replication and mimicry?
1: Well, the reason a lot of people don't understand it, a lot of the reason a lot of people probably would not copy it is first and foremost, is that it has no boundaries. And what I mean by that is that the boundaries, as defined by uh, modern golf in America, is bordered by sometimes trees, uh, rough, uh, and then we experience a fairway, and then we have uh, parallel bunkers on the, on the outsides of the fairways, usually located in the rough. And that's a boundary, that's what people are used to playing, they tee off, they're they're directed by bunkers, on uh, target bunkers. They're directed by tree lines. They're directed by rough lines. Uh, the fairway is defined, and uh, it's all laid out in front of them. But at the old course, the first thing I found out when I first studied it many, many years ago was that it had none of those boundaries. It had no direction. It had no target bunkers. Uh, what it has is the spirit of, of, of adventure and the spirit of willing to play golf uh, over the Lynx lands of Scotland. And because it doesn't have that boundary, I say, I don't think a lot of people understand it, nor that do they want to emulate it and bring it to America in its present form. Jeff.
2: Yeah. Do you, you, know, do you agree I, about boundaries? Yeah, I, you nailed it. As a matter of fact, when Derek and I were messaging, uh, I think it was yesterday um, you know, one of the things that uh, that you mentioned, Derek, was, you know, the, I think the question was something along the lines of, you know, what would be the hardest thing to explain to people the first time they see St. Andrews? And and Jim just nailed it. I mean, I, I think the one thing that most people would be very confused about um, especially people who haven't studied St. Andrews in particular and golf architecture in general, is, is just the invisibility of so much, right? After the first tee shot, I was thinking about it this morning, I think um, the next uh, two through seven tee shots are basically blind tee shots, if, if, you know, you're hitting over small dunes with gorse on top of it. I mean, you, if you stood a, a North, most North American golfers on the tee who are used to playing the types of golf courses that Jim just described, you know, narrow fairways bordered by trees, hazards set on the outsides, they're basically dictatorial, you know, telling you hit it here. If you're the type of golfer who's used to hit it here, you stand on, you know, six of the first seven tees. At St. Andrews, and you're thinking to yourself, "This isn't even the game that I was that I I learned on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean."
0: That brings up the question. I mean, that that goes partly to answering this, right? I mean, if you presented those types of golf situations to the modern player, without the context of it being on you know the home of golf in Scotland at a historic place, it would be abjectly rejected, would it not?
2: Well, I, I mean, Jim would has probably heard this too, but I mean, I, I think a, a funny little joke we've always had in the business of golf course architecture is if your first golf course was the old course, you'd never get another job. <laughs> right. True. So true. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you built that thing in Denver or Toronto or Georgia, um, you know maybe nowadays it's funny with, with with so much more of a spotlight on golf course architecture and thanks to guys like Jim Urbina and Tom Doak and Bill Coor I think there's a younger generation there's a there's an up you know there's a swell in golf coming where, where people in their 30s and 40s now want to learn a lot more about golf course architecture than those type of people did 25 years ago Um So it's funny. I mean, maybe if you did build it now, um, you know, I've always kind of lived by that uh, belief that, yeah, if you built that, most people think you're crazy. But I don't know. As I think about it, sitting here talking, perhaps I could be optimistic and say more people would get it today than they would, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Would you agree with that,
1: Jim? Absolutely. But. But Jeff Mingay has just been awarded his first design uh, (laughs) contract in in Toronto or some province of Canada. And he lays out his golf course and his golf course. Oh, by the way, only has two part threes on of it, two part threes on it. Uh, What happened to the other two part threes, Jeff? How would you explain (laughs) that? Uh, you mean after i explained
2: that six of the first seven tee shots are blind <laughs> yes that's exactly right that's exactly <laughs> right <laughs> i think we've made our point here um yeah i mean it is jeez uh, it's i mean I'm, I'm already my juices are already flowing talking about this trying to figure it all out because it is it's even difficult to explain the golf fishing golf course architecture aficionados um, what is so great about the place? I mean, I, I mean I basically in, my, in the presentation that I've given to these turf students over the last few years, you know, I basically have, have narrowed it down to four, maybe five points, right? First of all, you've got the most sublime, coolest terrain that you could possibly lay a golf course over top of, right? Um, you know Jim's been doing it three times as long as me, but I, you know I came into the business shaping and um you know when you when you walk around the old course and you 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 look at the contour and undulation on the ground throughout the entire layout um i mean you just hope and pray someday you could ever get on a bulldozer and shape something that good would you agree with that as well Jim?
1: oh for sure uh pete die was uh pete die was quoted in the links to saint andrews um a golf course uh, book uh, called uh, "Love Letters to the to the Home of Golf." Pete Dye was quoted and said that the old golf course was built by God and refined by many through time. So, for Jeff and I to think that we're going to get on a piece of equipment and duplicate what God did, and then refine it after that would be almost uh, useless to even discuss. So when you walk St. Andrews and you look and you experience, the best time to do it is on a Sunday when the course is closed. Yeah. And I've done that several times thinking to myself, without a club in my hand on a Sunday, I walk and I look at the contours of the land and I think to myself, ah, couldn't do that. I ah, couldn't do that. I would have never thought to do that. And so Jeff is right that when you try to emulate that's one of the things that Jeff pointed out in the beginning. When you try to emulate the contours, as Pete Dye said, the old golf course was built by God. And how can we do better than God? Well, uh, that would be our first error in trying to recreate the old course at St. Andrews. So Jeff is right. Can you duplicate those I don't know. You'd have to let the wind blow a little bit longer on the sand dunes of whatever golf course property you found before you could emulate St. Andrews.
2: Exactly. I mean, it is. It is just a. If you, I mean, if you were just into terrain or undulation, which I probably sounds to some people uh, a bizarre hobby, but um, you know, you walk around that that piece of ground and just admire all the little contours mown down to fairway height um it's it's odd because i was just thinking it's it's such a stark landscape to so many people when you stand on you know any tee really and look around the golf course it's sort of a confusing stark landscape weird looking but when you when you focus down on the ground and again, admire those undulations and those contours. And it's it's one of the most beautiful pieces of ground that uh, that you're going to see anywhere, which from afar doesn't look too spectacular. So it's, it's a neat juxtaposition, if that makes any sense.
1: And he uh, and Derek, Jeff points out exactly what Ben Crenshaw said. He said, I've studied a lot of the golf courses in Scotland and Ireland. But the old course is the best thinking course. So are you prepared to think during your round of golf? Are you prepared to place the ball during your round of golf? Are you going to realize that sometimes two shots, uh, uh, maybe uh, just to the left or to the right of a bunker and then on to the green is better than straight away? That's a thinking man's course, a thinking woman's course. And I think that's what people struggle with. Man, you're asking me to think today? I really don't want to do that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, Jim just walked me into my next point. I mean, you know, you, you, you multiply or compound the, 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 that wonderful undulation and the terrain throughout the golf course with massive greens, where one day you can set the pin far left, the next day far right, next day shallow. Next day, way deep into the green, you can set the T markers wherever wherever you please because basically the entire golf course is mowing at fairway height, other than dunes and and other uh, other areas that are tough to mow. But there's a lot of variety, uh, you know, in terms of setting the markers every day. So th- that variety of pins, variety of markers, giant greens, massive fairways, seaside wind, uh, t- uh, weather changes that are typical of seaside sites and then take the next step and consider that the golf course can be played in reverse. I mean, you've essentially got a, 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 an 18-hole golf course that plays as an infinite number of golf courses, depending on weather, depending on pin locations, tee markers, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the, the, the option to play in reverse uh, which gets us back to the question at hand is you know when you when you think about those wonderful characteristics that the old course possesses,
1: why hasn 't it been done more often and and derek I, I can tell you this i've i 've said to a few people, and I may have discussed this with with a, a writer at one time or or two that the randomness of bunkering. The randomness of bunkering, because, as Jeff points out, you could play this in reverse, the randomness of the bunkers have no relationship to mathematical distances, which means, as Jeff said, when the wind blows or or the, the ground is dry or wet, these bunkers, because they have no mathematical distances added to them, they are just random out there created by God, as Pete said originally. People want to have the ability to reach out or to direct their shot to these bunkers. And because there's so many different bunkers in the field, in the Elysian fields, or there's so many different bunkers as you round the corner on seven and cross the fairway on 11 that you just don't know and ever feel really comfortable unless you have played it a few times, the randomness the, uh, the the deduction of mathematically placed bunkers. That's its core. And that's what makes it so exciting. And that's what makes it so, uh, so interesting to discover. And as Jeff said, the wind comes up, the pin is placed in a different direction. All bets are off. Don't know how that bunker's gonna play. Don't know if you're gonna get in it. And so who wants that chance of uncertainty? I don't mind it one bit, Jeff. I'm assuming you don't care either.
2: No, no, it actually uh, uh, puts a really interesting thought in my head in terms of uh, bunkering. You know, when you talk about, again, the, the, the variety of weather you're going to have at a place like St. Andrews in terms of, you know, heavy air, light air, hot, cold, wind blowing in this direction. The next day the wind's blowing the opposite direction. Um, you know, I love it that a golfer one day will hit hit what he considers a great drive and rip it past the bunker uh you know by 30 40 yards and think well why would that bunker be there you know the next day the wind changes the weather's different and he's in it you know that that to me is the ultimate variety and speaks to your point too jim where you can't go out especially on a site a seaside site like that and you've got so much experience on them you can't say this bunker should be 248 point Four yards off the tee to catch the uh, low handicap players. Um, you know, it just doesn't work on a site like St. Andrews that is just so, so, so varied, uh, depending on so many variables every day.
0: Let's stick with that concept for just a moment. The randomness of of bunkering and what you guys are just talking about that does seem to be one of the the real core elements that makes St. Andrews unique and possibly what makes it great is that there really are no set strategies. The course is so multiple. It's variable. It changes day to day. You can play a whole two or three different ways and possibly have success or failure each way. That seems to me, creating situations like that, an anti-strategic type of concept, that seems to me like something that you could replicate on a golf course and you wouldn't necessarily need the all the assets that St. Andrews has. You could create a golf course or golf holes where there's so many different ways to play it, and it doesn't call for a single strategy, and it has maybe to do with the randomness of hazards and, and bunkering. Is that something that we can take away from St. Andrews, perhaps? Because I can't think of too many places that present the strategic or anti-strategic layout that St. Andrews does.
2: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mean, I, I whenever I think about that concept in general, I mean, I think it was Jeff Shackelford that had said this years ago. But you know, it's the difference between democratic and dictatorial design, right? You know, they're the, I mean, if we take poor old Robert Trent Jones, always gets the <laughs> is always the whipping boy when it comes to <laughs> dictatorial design, right? narrow Fairway, bunker right, bunker left. If you don't hit it down the middle. You're penalized. You know the architect is actually telling you what you need to do, or else. And um, you just described the opposite here really well uh, in terms of how democratic St. Andrews is. Um, you know, another point I was going to make when we were talking about the randomness of bunkers. It's really interesting to me that on a you know on a on a benign day, I mean St. Andrews is the easiest golf course on earth. Wind kicks up, grounds firm etc um you know it can be the hardest course on earth and you know I, the 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 variety that the golf course presents because of those factors i don't know is it something that can be where can that be replicated exactly i think part of it is that that variance of wind and and, and weather by the sea as well
1: and Derek, I go to the I, I, there's a book that I enjoyed reading and I would recommend it to some of you readers. Not not everybody would enjoy it. It's called The Architectural Side of Golf by Weatherton Simpson. They have a chapter that's called Attack and Defense. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read something from that book.
0: I'd love it. Love to hear it.
1: Quote There are no lines or circles to denote areas of play. Nothing, in fact, but a starting point and a final goal the widest liberty of action is allowed between these points with facility for every kind of maneuver. If that doesn't speak for what St. Andrews is all about, you start on a teen ground and your end goal is the green and a put-in. But within of that, there's the widest liberty of action, and that's what St. Andrews does for me, the widest liberty of action because we all maneuver in a different way. And that's why I think St. Andrews should be, should be used as a foundation because not every golfer plays it straight away. Not every golfer hits a fade, not every golfer hits a draw. And if we base our design on the flexibility and the liberty to maneuver, I think that's what St. Andrews does and I don't know, Jeff, why we can't provide that widest liberty of action to maneuver. Yeah, that, that's a, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I
2: I was just thinking that, you know, I think we're all guilty when, when we think about golf course architecture. It's a lot easier to come up with thoughts relative to, you know tilt of the green. If the green's tilting right to left on a par 4 most golfers are going to want to be over on the left side to play their approach into the slope of the green so I'm going to put a bunker over on the left you know we have these, even when we talk nature and we talk St. Andrews and we talk Alistair McKenzie and Royal Melbourne, I think sometimes we there's too much formula and we don't even know we're, we're, we're trying to be random and we're trying to be naturalists and those sorts of things, but we end up talking strategic formulas a lot. I think it's 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 a difficult thing again to really present a democratic golf course in the way you just described, which again I believe is uh, is is absolutely ideal. But um, why do we talk so much about the strategy of the road hole, the strategy of this hole, and template holes, and this and that? that effectively have come from St. Andrews and other great links courses. And then we speak to how cool democratic golf holes courses, I should say, um, would be, you know, I think there's a, there's a distinct philosophical difference. there.
0: If if that makes any sense. I wonder why. Well, first of all, I was going to, I was going to ask this. I mean, it seems like that's the lesson of St. Andrews that we could, we could have, and when I say "we," I mean the the cloud of golf course intellect that goes back hundreds of years, or but it seems like that's something that that would have transported out of St Andrews and been applied and and it probably exists a little bit more on Lynx courses than than elsewhere, and there are and there are certainly holes at St Andrews that do pose very distinct strategic options. But the soul of the course is really this openness that we're talking about. Why did that go missing? When you get to golf course architecture in the United States, it really becomes, especially, you know, the first 30 years, it, it does become what Jeff, you're talking about more formulaic uh, holes have concepts. You know, the architect is thinking about where to place the hazards to affect a result or affect an intellectual engagement. And, and, I'm curious to Jim, do you have any explanation why sort of that, that randomness and openness that St. Andrews presents so beautifully and is so beguiling, even after all these years, why why didn't that transport out in early golf course architecture?
1: Well, uh, we, we have to define early golf course architecture, because if we if we talk about our favorite subject after World War Two, <laughs> we, we mm-hmm. were struggling to get. We were struggling to get entertaining golf courses. We were building we were building golf courses uh, in the masses to be used and enjoyed by the beginning golfers. But when it first came to America, whoever uh, decided that that uh, either the template holes, as Jeff had talked about, or the cock bunkers or flat greens or or strategic greens or penal golf course architecture, the list could go on and on, however you want to study it. I don't know that anybody said, as they brought the style of architecture, 500 years, four or 500 years had protected the sanctity of St. Andrews. I don't know that anybody was going to bring it to America and say, we're going to play a loop out nine, and then we're going to return nine, because even the best architects of the time, Mackenzie. One of his 13 rules of golf course architecture, Alistair McKenzie says, you should have returning nines. Okay, so that dispels the St. Andrews course. And then another uh, architect came across and said, we should have a balance of par. Well, there goes the old course because it only has two par threes. And so balance and the new style of architecture. And McKenzie said, you should have returning nines so everybody starts to pick at what is good for golf in America and other far-reaching parts of the world and what isn't. And the old course tended to break a lot of those rules. So it was for, it was hard to transfer those thoughts. It was hard to bring those uh, uh, concepts to uh to the, to the ends of the earth, whether it's South America or Australia or or, or Canada. Uh, and, Jeff, I'm not saying Canada is at the far ends of the earth. You, you know what I'm saying. But, but, but when A.V. McCann came from Scotland, uh, and Jeff knows A.V. McCann very well, uh, when A.V. McCann came to Canada, he decided what was the goods and bads excuse my English, the good and bad parts of St. Andrews, and he applied those to some of his golf courses in Canada and the Northwest. So, I think they allowed St. Andrews to be a part of their design, but Jeff, I think architects were ready to do something different and they weren't going to let the old course dictate what they wanted to do. Yeah, and
2: as you were speaking there, one thing I had thought as well is that you know I, I, I certainly don't think it's um, uh, obviously not, it's not a bad thing that, that aesthetics became a, a big deal. Um, you know, even even talking about a guy like Alistair McKenzie, I mean he you know laid out some of the most beautiful golf courses on some of the most impressive sites uh, uh, you know in history. St Andrews. To accommodate what a lot of the things we're talking about, you 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 need an ugly piece of ground, relatively, right? Too much elevation change, you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. But you need things like elevation change, and and uh, and a overall I'm a prettier site than than what a what a, what a property like St. Andrews offers. And perhaps, I guess my argument is that perhaps that's another reason why, uh, particularly something like a reversible layout, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily work in too many spots.
1: And Derek, you've played some of the best golf courses in the U.S. and around this world. If you go back and you look at some of the best holes at, at Augusta National, they were derived from the old course at St. Andrews. But I can go back to what Pete said. The golf course was built by God and refined by others, by many through time. So as time proceeded, we kept refining and kept refining and kept uh, thinking of new ways to, to make the golf course more interesting. But in reality... I think that all the old course of St. Andrews had solved that way before we have given any credit for uh, credit to it for.
0: That brings me back to another intrinsic part of the value and the importance and the playability of St. Andrews. And that's the that's the turf. Now, all all links have have firm sandy turf. But isn't that also something that would mean that you could only kind of recreate a lot of these concepts or a lot of these, you could recreate, forgive me, Alistair, the spirit of St. Andrews in some other place. You would have to have that fescuey sandy turf in order to have the multiplicity that the design affords.
1: Well, in Denver, Colorado, where I reside, it snows in the wintertime. So uh, that perfect turf that, uh, that the old course provided, that McKenzie said we needed, that needed to be propagated and, and mowed down by rabbits, well, it, that doesn't apply to Denver, Colorado. We have some soils that, that are clay-ish and heavy, uh, rocky, uh, snow, it uh, dries out in the summertime. Jeff could say the same thing about uh, about Toronto, May, or, or, or from the east and the west sides of Canada. The soils sometimes weren't conducive, the temperatures weren't conducive, so I have to sympathize with people saying, wow, we can't copy the old golf course. It had the perfect lynx ground, that perfect sandy soil, the weather that was conducive to, to turf. Uh, that doesn't happen when you got 18 inches of snow on the ground. Mm-hmm.
0: It also comes back to what Jeff was saying, which I'm really intrigued by is to is St. Andrews is, you know, not in the eyes of everybody, but kind of an objectively an ugly piece of ground, you know, it's flat, it has small movements, it's, it's at a distance from the water. Um, Now, when we get sites that might produce the turf qualities that St. Andrews has, the developers are interesting in sites that have a strong element of visceral beauty to them. So it's just almost unlikely that you're going to get a piece of land that is ugly and as St. Andrews, even if it's good for golf, you know, because it doesn't have, it wouldn't have the, you know, that sort of beautiful quality that you would need to attract players. Yeah. Yeah. So ugliness is a, is an important factor in a way.
2: Yeah. I mean, and isn't that sad in a way, you know, when, when you think about hundreds of years ago, um, You know, whoever it was coming up with this game of golf and playing over that ground that now is the old course. I mean, no one was really worried about infinity greens and (laughs) all all the all the aesthetic value that comes with Bandon and all these great places, and they are all great. But but you know, it just that just triggered the question in my mind that you know if you built again if you built St Andrews today. You know, and we were kind of arguing well maybe more people get it these days so maybe it would work but I don't know the more I think about places like the Sheep Ranch and Cabot and all these places I mean could you just wrinkle up a little piece of ground where you don't see anything and it's kind of stark and barren and have people love it I, 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 it's such a good question it
0: really is. I'm not. It would have to be. It would have to be a, a city course, right? A course that just relied for three hundred years on local play, and they loved it. And then the rest of the world would discover it.
1: That's yeah, exactly how the old course developed, right? Yeah. And and part of that, if I may inj- inject, part of that is that it, it St Andrews is the public golf course of the town of St. Andrews and the golf course is closed on Sunday. So it doesn't have to bend to the, to the, to the uh, demands of, of outside play. If you don't like it uh, you could just move on. If you like it, you'll come back and, and the town's folks are, are, are proud of their golf course and they're proud of what they have. And so if, if, if you like it, all the better for you and the understanding of golf architecture. And if you don't, that's okay, too. So it may have to be a municipality that you can charge a relatively uh, uh, lower fare for uh, the participation of golf so it doesn't cost you. A hundred dollars to play. Maybe it's only thirty or forty or fifty dollars U.S.
2: And I think I think turf. Well, I, I should more say maintenance in general um, is another challenge, right? I mean, I just I just double check. If you look at the combination between what did I pick here? the uh fifth and 13th greens no that's the uh fourth and 14th greens at st andrews Twenty-five thousand square feet jim yep uh, an average you know these days I'd, I'd be interested to hear your answer too jim but when i'm out building a new green somewhere i mean i'm looking at at least six maybe eight thousand square feet So when we measure out these double greens at St. Andrews, which give us everything we need in terms of all the great variety of pin positions and things we're talking about, um, how many owners, municipalities, golf clubs um, could afford to maintain greens that size up to an expected standard, whatever that means. You know, that's another challenge relative to presenting what the old course is elsewhere
1: well i can tell you jeff to answer that question mr kaiser at the Band of dunes resort allowed us to build greens that were comparable comparable in size to st andrews the fifth green at old mac is 18000 square feet a couple of the greens on the golf course are 20 and 22000 square feet but Mr. Ken Nice, the superintendent uh, of the Bannon Dunes Resort, and Marcus Lakely, who takes care of uh, Old McDonald, the superintendent, they mow and maintain fescue grass, pure fescue grass on Old Mac Greens, and so the care and the upkeep is not as intense as it would be for a bent grass green, and let and say let's say uh, uh, Texas or or or, or Georgia. But fescue grass in Bandon at Old Mac at 18,000 square feet, at 22,000 square feet, uh, uh, Marcus Lakey and Ken Nice have proven that you could take care of greens that size and still have a, a, a enjoyable putting surface to play on. So I think that we could solve the size of the greens and the maintenance of them in the right soils and in the right temperature zones. But I don't know that you could carry that size of a green, let's say, down to uh, Arizona or to Texas or to Florida. But we have built them that big. They are doable. It's whether the public would accept them as being uh, enjoyable to play or uh, somewhat difficult to navigate and putt. So... The big greens is a problem in some locales.
2: And I guess that would also translate into fairway acreage as well. You know, in certain climates, um, I, I would I would love to know what the fairway acreage is at St. Andrews. I don't know, uh, to com- just to compare it to your average 18-hole club course. But, um, you know, in in certain environments and climates, I mean, just the chemical applications required to keep... That turf up to again an expected standard. Um, you know that that's just a, that's just a financial challenge when you're maintaining that much turf on fairways and greens. Again, just looking for reasons why the old
1: course hasn't translated very well. And Derek, the other thing that that doesn't translate very well is crossing fairways. If you were really going to if you were really going to emulate the style of architecture at St. Andrews, People don't, a lot of people don't know this, but you actually cross fairways uh, from the seventh. uh, You play uh, across the hole number 11 at St. Andrews. So courtesy must prevail. And I can't imagine that Jeff or I, if we were designing a new golf course, if we would ever think, well, you know, I'll just have people cross right here, right in front uh, of this tee. Uh, That should be no problem. (laughs) Yeah, right. 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 (laughs) <laughs> but
2: see, Jim, you'll appreciate this. One of my favorite golf stories of my life was uh, teeing off on the 11th at St. Andrews, and uh, as I was walking toward the green, golfers crossing us on the seventh. Um, one of the one of the guys in the group on the seventh hole came over to me playing the 11th and asked me if I had a light for his cigar. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I thought the intimacy of that whole experience. Is what way too many golfers never experience. And that's really unfortunate because that's, that's, that's a very intimate experience.
0: Uh, yeah. it's, not a, it's not a good layout in the uh, social distancing moment <laughs> that no <will> <laughs> Hey, since I have your attention, I'd like to let you know that right now you can download the Golf Digest Digital Edition for free on your phone or tablet. All the features that normally appear in the magazine are now available to you in digital format, including my regularly occurring column on architecture called Of Course. In Issue 5, I write, Then and Wow! about the last 30 years in golf design, and describe the defining elements that differentiate where architecture is today compared to 1989. You'll also get breaking stories from GolfDigest.com, plus a number of other interactive items not possible in print format. To access everything Golf Digest has to offer, just go to your preferred app store, download the Golf Digest magazine app, and start reading. Now back to our talk. So Jim, I'm going to ask you a question, and because Jeff's our guest, he's going to get it too, but he's going to get a little more time to think about it. Some of the holes at St. Andrews have been replicated. You know, Probably most famously, the Eden hole uh, is uh, a copied hole quite often in in many situations. I'm going to ask you, On a design, a new design that you get at some point, is there a hole at St. Andrews that you would like to either replicate or take the principles of and and apply them, one that you haven't seen done before? Or even more specifically, is there a shot, either a drive or an approach shot or a chip shot or something specifically at St. Andrews that you would love to try to incorporate into one of your new courses or holes absolutely
1: absolutely there are one of the lost bits of architecture design wise shot wise that i believe is being overlooked right now is that middle distance par four michael kaiser and i have talked about that quite frequently and the short drivable par four is become the rage or not become the rage but it's something a lot of people like and I like it, too. Right. It's trendy. I like it, too. Yeah. But that middle, sh- that, that that for no better way to explain it, I've hit my best tee shot, and I'm almost there. I'm not there, but I'm almost there. So that second shot that doesn't require you to have a three, four, five, six iron in your hand, but requires you to have a seven, eight, or nine. So that you can use the grand counters if you wish. That's the holes I'm going to try to re resurrect in my new style of, uh, in one of my uh, designs. And, and the old course has that. The old course has that. The 17th hole, the road hole. It's just that right yardage, that, that, uh, that yardage from the, the, from the members' tee. that 426. Uh, the yellow tee, the red tee, the four twenty six, uh, that I think would people would start to enjoy more of, and I could go down a list of several holes. You know, I know that the ninth is the ninth is almost drivable, but it plays about 340 345 That's the holes got, that Michael uh, Kaiser and I have talked about bringing back. That you know, you can hit an eight iron, I could play a seven iron. Uh, somebody could play a three metal a five metal run it on the ground that's the shots i want to bring back that's what all the old course does for me and that's what i would try to recapture well
0: jeff
2: well you gave me uh time to think about it i'm not sure i uh utilized it to the best of my morning, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny i i was i was lucky and i'm glad i uh thought of this um Back in 2000, I think it was 2005, uh, Jim, you'll know this history, but um, uh, Mr. Herb Kohler bought the Old Course Hotel, and our friend Tim Liddy um, was hired by Mr. Kohler to remodel the Duke's course just outside of town. Yes, Uh, I'm familiar, yes. Yeah, and Tim did an amazing thing 15 years ago. He invited... um, you know, while I was there helping them uh, shape bunkers, uh, James Duncan was there. Uh, Dan Proctor was there for a bit. Um, Philippe Bennett who, who worked with Rod and I for a bit, anyway. Tim Tim brought a, a bunch of people over from North America to uh, to help him out with the Dukes project, and uh, I still owe uh, Tim an arm and a leg because. Um, um, the weather was horrible while i was there for a couple weeks are you thanking him for that <laughs> well indirectly because the site that we were working on at the dukes was clay so every time oh, okay we couldn't get out there so but funny enough the old course was open right the old course was uh, was draining great and the the old clay course up on the hill that we were working on you couldn't work so i got around the old course quite a bit actually and Thankfully, this, this thought got triggered in my mind. Uh, I, play, I got to play it in a bunch of different conditions. I walked it quite a bit. And, you know, one of the scariest shots that I've faced on that golf course is a front pin on the first hole, either downwind or into the wind. And what that reminds me of is how simple golf course architecture can be. You know, I can go through the rest of the golf course and I can talk about, like, as we just mentioned, how the rant seemingly, seemingly randomly placed bunkers work in different conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Ground contours great. I'll tell you what, you stick a pin behind that little stream and give me a little bit of a weird line that first fairway with the wind affecting that shot. And I'm just like this is probably not something we would ever consider doing on a new project but
1: this shot is unreal was it the burn that caused you uh the the water feature that caused your 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 uh,
2: yeah you rip a you rip a drive down that fairway and have a little wedge into a front pin uh and it's like one of the scariest looking things you'll ever see in your life. And there's hardly anything there. But will we ever excavate a little stream and just put the green on the other side of it? Probably not. It's, a, it's very, very, very simple.
1: Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah. And when you had just mentioned the ninth hole as well. I love the ninth hole. Love I'm it. fascinated by the ninth hole. And most people would go to the ninth hole and think, what is that? There's hardly any contour through the fairway. The green's almost dead flat. A couple bunkers are over on the left, but it also reminded me of the great thought uh, you brought up, Tom Simpson earlier. Um, you know, he said you need a hole like the ninth to remind everybody else, to, to remind everybody how great the other ones are, or how good the good ones are. You know, uh, so again, just speaking to the variety out there at St Andrews, I think holes like the ninth and holes like the first. Um, you know, remind us that you don't need "quote unquote" eighteen signature holes on a golf course. There's, there's, there's some there's some real charm in those little holes that, you know, one day it might seem like, oh, that's the easiest hole I've ever I've ever seen. It's the ugliest hole I've ever seen. Then the next day you drive your ball into a different position, and you're like, whoa, I didn't see this yesterday. You know, um, again, a lot of charm in in those types of. Of, of uh, characteristics at St Andrews
0: as well, Jim. You mentioned about wanting to design a mid-length par four that was really challenging, and maybe that's been lost a little bit. And you mentioned like maybe somebody gets up there with with a metal something and bumps something into the green. And I was I was thinking about this at St Andrews, and I'm sure the people who play there a lot and and, and Scottish people and maybe some international players do utilize the ground. On that golf course, and 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 you have to in certain conditions. But is that something that you could count on people doing? When I go to when I go to play sand-based courses now, I go into the mindset thinking. Oh, I go to sand Valley and I think uh, I'm going to just like, I'm going to play everything down. I'm going to run everything up. I'm going to experience the ground contours. And invariably I get out there and my caddy, you know, hands me the eight iron, you know, and says, okay, you know, f- aim like five yards right of this pin." you know, and I find myself just instinctively playing the equipment, which gets the ball in the air. And I'm just curious, is that, how do you, how can you, inf- how can you encourage people who are conditioned to try to hit the ball in the air to utilize all the wonderful ground things that St. Andrews provides. And I even wonder if if when a lot of people visit St. Andrews, are they utilizing the ground or are they hitting, trying to hit high shots into those greens?
1: Well, I think they are trying to hit high shots into the greens. Luckily, one of the last times I played golf at St. Andrews, I had a very good caddy. His name was Nick. I'll never forget it. And he learned how I played the ball. And he learned that... Uh, uh, whenever I got the ball way up in the air as the wind blew, it would get off track, and so he tried to keep my ball down on the ground. To to the reverse of what you said, the caddy says grab an eight iron. So the caddies at St Andrews, uh, based on you know how the uh, weather conditions are being played, you know Nick uh, told me you know play this shot uh, closer to the ground. So I, I learned that game, and no, I cannot make Jeff Mingay. I cannot make Derek Duncan. I cannot make bill Coor play a shot that i visualize in my mind when i'm laying out these middle length par fours i can't make you do that but there's a green there's a hole that i've laid out that is a about a 340 350 yard hole that on one part of the green the green is going away from you and on the other part of the green it's slightly coming back at you and then a left to right The greens lay it on the ground. It's right there. I just saw it's like, wow, this is cool. So, if the pins on the left, the ground game would be to your advantage. If the pins on the right, the aerial game would be to your advantage. And so, that is the style of design that I learned at St. Andrews with those big greens that depends on what part of the green you're going to play at. You can't always put that ball in the air. And I think as you play these golf courses, the ones that I envision that Michael Kaiser and I have been talking about, that mid-length par four, so when that ball does go on the ground, that as, can I go back to this quote? Dad, I got to go back to this quote, sorry. Whether then Simpson says you can't not just de- de- design a golf course for the Giants. You have to make the golf course Disconcerting, and have them uh, play. Have the normal player play a shot that he can play himself, not just a play for the Giants. And so these mid-level par fours, this green going away from you in one part, but slightly going from left to right on the other, allows me to play and provide different calibers of players, different types of shots. So they, they always have to pull out the seven and eight iron as the caddy had told you, Derek.
0: By the way, I need to interject really quickly that my caddies at Sand Valley last time I was there, Jim and Ryan Glover were excellent caddies. So I'm not trying to disparage them at all. They did a great job. There's so much, and this is maybe um, getting off topic a little bit, but one of the hallmarks of design over the last 20 years is a lot of talk about the ground game. And and obviously, Jim, you've done it. Your, your peers have done it. Jeff, you've probably done it on some of your projects. You do build into the ground features and contour. It's, it's like we talked with Don Mahaffey about, you know, building ground contours and around the greens and slopes. But it takes, for all the talk and all the emphasis that's put on it, and even all the design work that's put into it, it takes a special kind of thinking player to analyze that and utilize that. And this goes back to something that you mentioned at the very beginning, Jim, is that the St. Andrews makes you get on a tee and figure it out. And that's uncomfortable or, or maybe not uncomfortable. It's not common. People are modern players are not accustomed to having to do that. So I just wonder if all the talk about the ground game is just, is lost on the majority of people, the people that go to play St. Andrews, and I say people very generally. Uh, I'm sorry, it, listeners, I'm not talking about you specifically, but people who go to St. Andrews and miss out some of the greatness of it because they're not thinking about hitting the ball on the ground. Is that a, is that a is that a? I, and I don't mean this to be an indictment of modern architecture because it's not. It's, I guess maybe it's more than anything, it's it's an indictment on the modern player. Uh, am, I, am I mistaken in, in misreading the situation? Jeff,
1: go ahead, because he's – Derek's got me fired up now. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, the one the, – I'm glad you're fired up. I can't wait. Yeah, let, let <laughs> you cool off <laughs> I mean, <that's> cool <laughs> off. Okay, uh, got that to look forward to, though. Um, <laughs> um, actually, you know, it got me thinking about Vernon McCann again. You brought him up earlier. And, you know, I, I was going to say, as you were talking about ground game at St. Andrews, um, you know, and all the study I've done um, – on Vernon mccann's career and his work he, he he was a he talked a lot about the greens at st andrews and one of the things he always pointed out was that typically on the on the you know the the circuit that we know as the open circuit not the reverse circuit but most of the greens as you know they either sit up flat on plateaus or run away from you you know and that I mean, there's not a better way to encourage golfers to approach terrestrially than to, than to have a green that's either falling away from you or sitting there flat because you better be controlling your golf ball if you want to fly that ball to those flat greens or those greens that are running away from you. And you talk about golfers understanding that concept. Sadly, you know, they haven't um historically and one of the saddest stories is mccann's uh, shaughnessy in vancouver um a lot of the greens there you know he he worked really hard to build st andrews style greens there plateaus running away i mean ex- with the exception of two greens at shaughnessy every mccann green is gone um something that as you just pointed out derek that is very very challenging to get um you know your typical north american golfer to 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 understand the concept behind those style of greens uh at least that's what i find in my experience and i think shaughnessy's a wonderful example of going
1: back half a century when people still didn't
0: jim i got ice on my head derek (laughs) (laughs) okay take it easy on me well i
1: just i just here's here's my dilemma my dad played golf my dad played golf up to around seventy seventy five years old. A lot of seniors play golf uh, the ones that are out there every day during the week playing golf uh, a lot of average golfers uh, playing golf uh, bogey golfers, if you want to call them, they hit a lot of ground shots they don't they have they don't have the ability to get that ball way up in the air and so For the good players, for the good players who can hit the ball up in the air, that's fine. Enjoy that type of game. But a golf course shouldn't be just designed for the balls that come drop from heaven. A golf course should be designed for all levels of players, with the ground game being a part of that. And if a 65-year-old or 75-year-old man or woman wants to bunt the ball down the fairway, they should be allowed to. And one of the things that was so prevalent and so rejoiced – by golfers at St. Andrews that you could play it almost with a putter, except for the first hole as, uh, as Derek, uh, I'm sorry, as Jeff had pointed out at St. Andrews with the burn running in front of the green, you could play the golf course with a putter. And so I am just trying to recapture that ground game and implore you to think about using it as they did at St. Andrews and other links golf courses. And Designing that hole so that if, Derek, you have practiced and practiced and practiced that eight iron and you've lofted it to the heavens and it lands perfectly on a dime, that that's the shot that you should try. But for every other player who can't hit it to the stratosphere, the ground game provides an option, and I am going to do my best to bring that back, and I have done it. On other golf courses that i've been involved with with uh, mr pete Dye and, and renaissance golf design i have brought that back but i'm going to even emphasize it more with uh, some of the sites that i'm looking at bringing that entertaining value of the ball on the ground and so that eric Derek, when you hit it up in the stratosphere, and I'm picking on you a little bit here, I apologize. When you hit that ball into the stratosphere and it drops from the heavens onto the I green. I don't
0: have that I don't have that okay, shot.
1: Okay, <laughs> well, if you develop that shot as you get older, I'm going to hit the ball on the ground, and you're going to laugh and, and enjoy and watch that ball run and feed into the green in that same location, and that will be just as fun.
0: I guess it falls under the category of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, you know, and, and uh, it's, I'm very pleased that, that uh, thoughtful designers, like the two of you are, are considering the ground game. Cause it is there to be used. Um, it, it, but it, it goes back to the player wanting to explore different ways and different routes and, and different uh, shot shapes and, and trajectories to get the ball to the hole. Um, so it's incumbent upon the, the player to, to want to take on those challenges.
1: I can't argue that, Derek. I can't argue that, Jeff. You probably feel the same way. But my job is to encourage variety. My job is to encourage uh, options, different ways to approach the game. And that's really why I'm trying to appeal to the massive amount of people. Now, some people won't like it. I understand that. And that's okay. But the more you have Given the golfer the opportunity to approach, as Weatherton Simpson said, the finality, the goal of the end, then the better for the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, I was just
2: getting a point that that, that was a great point that you made. I mean, it's very cliche these days, right? Because everybody talks about the importance of building golf courses that challenge the better player cater to the enjoyment of everybody else you know we all know that and thank goodness it's cliche because that is a very very important thing but saint andrews as you know really does that in spades i mean it's amazing that golf course you know you you tuck some pins between, you know, amongst some of that great undulation out there, and you could have Tiger Woods in his heyday struggling to make birdies, while a 20 handicap or someone's grandmother goes around and just conveniently makes five, 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 just making bogeys and having fun finding your ball, hitting another shot. Um, the example it provides in terms of that exact cliche of challenging the best and, catering to the rest is, is a hell of a lesson. Um, that, 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 really has, you know, I think most of the great golf course architects throughout history have really tried harder, um, you know, taking, taking inspiration from St. Andrews. I think most people have tried to do that more than anything else. Um, you know, using that example.
0: Jeff, uh, maybe just to, to close out here, uh, you did get a question on Twitter about, um, and I don't know if it was a serious question, you did respond to it, but I wanted to follow up. If if there's a hole at St. Andrews that you would consider revising or that you think needs some work, perhaps, to get it back to a truer form of, of what it should be.
2: Um, I actually felt really bizarre even being asked that question.
0: Like I, 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 it's kind of strange. Nobody wants to. As, <laughs> as Pete Dye would say, yeah, you're messing with God's work. There. That's
2: never going to happen, nor should it. Um, <laughs> so what would I, sorry, what would I do to a hole or the golf course? Is that, was that what that was? Or right there?
0: Is, is there any way to make St. Andrew's better? Uh, I guess the, maybe you can't make it better. Let's just stipulate that. Or, let's say, is there, is there anything, have they gotten off the rails on any way to your knowledge? You think something should be, kind of put back together you know i
2: actually think it could be better in one very fundamental easy way i would not change anything physically you know i wouldn't have the uh intelligence to go out there and say let's change this contour that contour move this bunker move that bunker but i i i would certainly get rid of the um I guess you you, could just say man's imposition on the golf course in terms of grassing lines, fairway lines. You know, we've we've seen it um, the last few opens, especially at the road hole, but a few other holes as well. Um, You know, someone or a committee's idea on where the fairway line should be, I think um, not only looks ridiculous, um, it just detracts from... All of the all the variety that we just um, um, you know described St. Andrews presenting, I would just mow more short grass. And again, not in a cliched modern way. I just feel like that particular landscape with all that beautiful undulation, you know, little dunes that aren't practical to mow, that have vegetation on them. Just mow everything you can mow short and let the golf take care of itself, even when the pros show up. That's what I would change.
1: Derek, could I, could, could I ask Jeff uh, another question based kind of on that same thing? Yes. If you're satisfied with Jeff's uh, answer, which I, I thought was a, a really good answer. Uh, I want to ask Jeff this. The first time you stood on the tee at St. Andrews, and if you, had, you were taking somebody who had never been there before, what would be the hardest thing that you would have to explain to them? after they saw it or when they were about to experience it, what would be the hardest thing that you would have to say uh, uh, to them? You're about to experience St. Andrews. What would you say to them? I honestly would go back again to the,
2: um, what I would presume to be confusing visuals for golfers who have not experienced the great links yeah, I think most people would, I mean, you could even take, you could even consider the first hole a bizarre look, right? You get up there, there's a 180-yard wide fairway. There's no bunkers out there. You see a flag waving over a little stream in front of the green. That's weird. Then, as we talked about earlier, holes two through seven, depending where the T's are, you know, or er, two through six. No, seven, I guess, is blind, too, but two yes. through seven. Is, yeah, seven's blind, yeah. yeah. You know you're gonna you're gonna see some visuals, particularly off the tees, um, that are really gonna confuse you in terms of what do I do, um, where do I go? Um, but again, that's the brilliance. It's unfortunate that so many golfers experience St Andrews in that way. You know they they have tourist golf. They either play they're lucky to play there once with the lottery, probably right on a visit to to the east coast of Scotland. Um, Again, very cliche, but everyone who knows the old course and has known the old course, I mean, it's a lifetime of study. Um, It's funny, Jim, you'll probably like this too, but I noticed on my bookshelf uh, as I was thinking about doing this podcast, I had How to Play the Old Course by Desmond Muirhead and Tip Anderson. On the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Like what a classic nice. book, right? So, like, I just started flipping through it, and I mean, one of the coolest quotes in in Muirhead's introduction was, you know, he says, "There's an infinite range of strategic and analytic possibilities out there." Infinite. I mean, you can, as we talked about earlier, depending what the weather's like, what the wind's like, what the temperatures like, where the pin is, where the T markers are. I mean, that that's that. I guess if I had to sum sum it up is that we got 18 holes that are, I don't know, you make up the number, right? There's 5,000 holes out there, you know, if you include the reversible course. And that's that concept, and getting back to the start of our discussion, you know, like why hasn't this concept successfully been implemented more often?
1: It's such a great question for the future of golf course architecture. You would never get bored with five thousand different ways to play it on one course, five thousand holes. I don't know. That's uh, let's say four thousand one hundred and twenty. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> but yeah. you would never get bored. You'd never ever get bored playing
2: St. Andrews. No, and you know what? I got to give your old friend uh, Tom Doak <laughs> because I went to the loop with an open mind uh, a couple summers ago, and that thing works really really good and it only it only kind of triggered this question in my mind again how come this hasn't been done more often great question with numerous
0: answers right <laughs> going going back to the, our initial uh, topic is why Saint Andrews, why isn't it mimicked or replicated more? I think I think the topic of our next podcast is why didn't more people write s- plays like Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah it's, reason, I think we have we know our Saint answers. Andrews,
2: though, Derek. There was no William Shakespeare. <laughs> God,
0: God, God! Nah,
2: he didn't. He doesn't know anything about golf course design.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm going to ask one more question, and, and I know we typically, neither one of you I don't think typically care or dwell on this particular subject matter, but since we're talking about St. Andrews, it is relevant, Jeff, and you went back to uh, a question earlier talking about grassing lines. I think one of the reasons some of those lines that didn't always exist appear now and some of those uh, areas of rough we see now is because the British Open is played there. The Open Championship is played there usually every five years. That course, as you mentioned before, can still be very challenging if the wind is up, but there's no guarantee the weather's going to cooperate. And if, if the wind is docile, you can't make that golf course very hard for elite players. And they've stretched it out as long as they could. My question is this, and you can both answer this. Should the old course be retired from the open Rota? Whoa.
2: That's just way out of bounds. <laughs> 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 no. I mean, at the end of the day, and I don't know why we can't think about golf um, or, you know, a majority of people can't think about golf in this way. If you and I tee off, you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar person. Jeff Mingay is going to play Derek Duncan, 18 holes at St. Andrews. We tee off. And then when we hole out on 18, the lowest score wins. That's it. What is, just go play St. Andrews. Send the best guys out there, even if they can hit the ball 500 yards off the tee or 100 yards off the tee. It's just a piece of undulating ground um, that's going to, you know, that just facilitates the game of hitting a ball cross-country and trying to hold it out 18 times. You know, there's no, I think it's as simple as that in my mind. And maybe I'm just, I don't know, not very smart, but <laughs> I think you could keep playing St. Andrews
1: forever, no matter what happens with golf.
0: <laughs> no, I, I appreciated that about your perspective, Jeff. I'm curious to hear what, what Jim would say to that.
1: Not worried about par. If the test of golf is, is the relationship between the golfer and the scorecard, the golfer and the scorecard and par, so what if he's uh, 50, 40, 30 over par? Who cares? And are our, our, our thinking that we have to de- defend par? I, I don't get that. And St. Andrews, if it was par 70 or par 69 or par 74, as Jeff Mingay says, the lowest score wins. Who cares if you have to worry about defending par? Go out and play. And no matter the weather conditions and no matter the green speeds and no matter the 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 lie that you get in the bunker, the lowest score wins. And that is the test of the best golfer. I don't worry about defending par. I don't care if there's 18, 19, 22 under par. That doesn't make the, 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 the golf course, in my mind, be a good test of golf or a great golf course. The best man won, the best woman won, the lowest score won. Defending par is irrelevant to me.
0: I think there are a lot of people who, if if not, it won't be next year, it'll be the year after that now, if St. Andrews gets warm weather and pros are shooting 57s and 59s, Around St. Andrews, your uh, I think your viewpoints will be the minority. I think there's going to be there would be an, an incredible amount of outrage, but it wouldn't and it, it wouldn't have anything to do with the golf course. It would just have to do with a lot of other factors. Um, and I just wonder if people want to see that.
2: We we might be my minor minority opinion, but it certainly doesn't suggest that we're still not the smartest people.
0: <laughs> right jim was it, was st- we, uh, did we not stipulate that up, up front <laughs> it doesn't that go without saying
1: you see derek that we don't care about par we're not trying to defend a a fictitious mathematical uh, assessment of a golf course par but what does par 72 mean what does par 70 mean who cares the, the, the top 10 golf courses, in, if you care about rankings, the top 10 golf courses in the U.S., uh, only three or four of them are par 72. And, and so if you're defending par and par 72 is defending par and you're four under, uh, is that a test of, of a good golf course? You know, I, I'm not sure. But a good golf course is a good golf course, a fun golf course to play a variety of shots, the strategic value, uh, playing different shots into the green—that's the test of golf. And defending par, to me, you're right. I, I, or or Jeff may be in the minority, but defending par is irrelevant. Go out and play. May the best man, may the best woman win.
2: Well, and no one's ever played a round of golf where every shot was easy. You know, you're gonna, no matter what happens during a round of golf, as we all know. I mean, you're gonna have some shots that are extremely difficult and then you're going to have an up and down this oh geez good thing i missed here that was easy and at the end of the day especially over a four-round tournament i mean low score wins play a bunch of hard shots play a bunch of easy shots add them up
0: done and that's the way st andrews plays for virtually everybody who plays there and has played there throughout time so uh it may not seem like it but i'm on board with you guys it should, we should never view golf through the eyes of uh, the elite tour player. Golf has so much more to offer. St. Andrews has the most to offer. There are so many different ways that we could have addressed St. Andrews. There, there, you can come at this golf course from a number of different angles. We chose to talk about its influence on design and, and whether it does influence design. Uh, I think we got about a tenth of the way down the track Barely. in this hour, or so we've been Barely talking. But I enjoyed it. Jeff, do you have any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm just getting uh, getting rolling here.
1: <laughs> so, is Jim, Jim's mates.
0: just getting warmed up. <laughs> Jim, Jim needs a cornerman right now. <laughs> well,
1: I just the, the, the golf course has been the it has been the study of the greatest architects of all time. You name them: Mackenzie, Tillinghast, Colt, Allison, uh, Ross. Uh, you name it; they've studied us. We should give it its respect. And we shouldn't let par dictate whether it's a good golf course or
0: uh, some other type of golf course. No. Well, I I hope we've given it some respect with this talk today.
2: Yeah. All you need is a rumpled piece of ground where the weather changes around a little bit, mow it down and play golf. I know that sounds kind of like I'm trying to be funny, but I mean, when you really, when I, whenever I need to get re-inspired about why I love what we do and this conversation has been been great relative to that you know you think about the old course and if you break it down into the simplest terms it's it's a beautiful thing it really is Mm -hmm. Uh, before we go jim i uh it's a bit ironic that we're um discussing how the old course hasn't been replicated um you know as many times as we probably think it should with a guy who's basically replicated (laughs) many aspects and characteristics of the old course abandoned that's a good you know point. i you know, i can't help but think of uh old mcdonald when i think of a big vast landscape um where the individual holes aren't necessarily designed uh you know framed in a traditional sense with trees and bunkers and and the uh the design of the greens set up strategies which allow for massive width um you know when you think old mcdonald has so many of those great characteristics that we just identified um at, at st andrews and if i'm not mistaken you guys really leaned i mean you only replicated three c- concepts whole co- individual whole concepts from from the old course but overall was was the old course in everyone's mind while you're doing old mac
1: you know one of the things that we discussed early on, and, and really it was, that, it was with the help of Ken Nice, one of the first things Ken Nice told us is that he was wanting to switch the grasses from the blends that were on the previous golf courses to a pure fescue blend. There would be no colonial bents added. And so when he said that he was comfortable with the pure fescue bre- blend, we knew that the turf, the tightness, the uh, the color of it, the, the the ability to run the ball forever on it was going to be a bonus, and would make Old McDonald uh, the width uh, play a crucial part to to the design of of Old McDonald. And so, turf played a key character in the design of Old McDonald, as you pointed out. The three holes that we we use from McDonald's ideal holes or what they call the template holes were the Eden from the 11th hole at St. Andrews. We talked about that. The road hole the 17th hole at St. Andrews and Long or what is known as the 14th hole at St. Andrews. So your question about was was St. Andrews on our mind? Yes, it was. What were the characteristics that made the Eden so good? Well, the eden was a good golf hole because you could technically putt the ball from the tee to the green now some writers said that that wasn't a good characteristic but one of the interesting things is when we built the eden hole at, at old mcdonald is that you technically could put the put put it off the tee all the way to the green but That wasn't the most important characteristic. We were taking what McDonald thought was the important ideals of of the Eden, and that was the Strath Bunker, which was a bunker, a riveted bunker, front right of the green, the Hill Bunker, which was the left edge of the green, and what we all know as the Eden Estuary behind the green. Well, we couldn't put the Eden Estuary behind the second hole at Old McDonald, but we could make the fall off feel like the Eden hole at St. Andrews. So the characteristics of a green canted from front, I'm sorry, from back to front, the strath bunker that would pe- protect the right side of the green, the hill bunker that would pre- protect the left side, and the Eden estuary that would fall off the back, those were the concepts that we took, and and we didn't duplicate exactly, but we got pretty doggone close.
2: That was so, my next question you know well, because yeah, I, right. I was just thinking we all know that that the 11th green in st andrews was recently softened you know they took out some of that back to front that famous back to front slope yes, I, have, yes. I, I haven't seen it since it was changed so i'm not going to make a comment on that but um i was curious i know you guys went to st andrews as part of the you know reconnaissance to get ready to do old mac eden green uh, you know that back to front slope in the road green in particular uh, how much serving and how much actual like duplication were you trying to achieve at Old Mc
1: McDonald? Well, we knew that we we knew that we couldn't get it as steep from back to front as the original Eden at St Andrews. That we would want the my as Mike Kaiser called it the retail golfer to enjoy the hole in all its splendor and not have to really worry about that steepness from back to front. So the Eden at Old McDonald, and it's not intended to be replicated, good point. You bring mm-hmm. up how steep it was from back to front. Our Eden Green is much more receptive to a a shot. It's uh, much more uh, uh, pinnable on that left edge over the hill bunker uh, and towards the back. So. We had some characteristics were important. The little swale that feeds up into behind the the Strath bunker, the Davy Strath bunker, but generally overall, absolutely correct. It wasn't as severe as the Eden at St Andrews.
2: And, and here, here's here's an interesting fact, Jim, for people who've been to Bandon but haven't been to St Andrews. Your second green at Old Mac is still brutally slope from back to front. Yeah, yeah. And you just admitted it's not even close to matching the slope uh, of oh, the original, it's, it's, which, which shows you how, how steep that green is.
1: That's right. It's not as, as steep. But we still, we didn't want to take, we didn't want to dumb it down. I, I know that term is sometimes overused. We wanted to have the, the characteristics of the Eden. McDonald would have had that. And that's really what Mike Kaiser asked of us to create in the spirit of mcdonald and rainer these template or ideal holes and so jeff if we would have built the eden dead flat and put the strath bunker way out to the right and the hill bunker made it not as severe yeah. you would have got a an eden that wasn't really true to its the spirit of the game
2: No doubt. And, um, you know, and that reminds me as well, when you correlate old McDonald with St. Andrews, I mean, the coolest thing is, is that the greens dictate everything, as we've talked about, you know, and by by building bold greens, designing and building bold greens, like you just described, that allows you to, to build those holes like a reverse funnel. You know, we were talking about how accommodating yep, yep. uh, yep, St. Andrews yep. is to all caliber of players. Yep. If, if you tighten up the challenges, you come into the green, you can widen it out as you go back toward the tee. And, you know, Old McDonald's, another great example, like St. Andrews, again, where you you can hit what you feel is a good good tee shot and, and only come to realize that you're in a horrible place when you get to your ball. Um <laughs> Don't you know, say horrible. You know, <laughs> angles, right? Angles yeah, to, yes, depending yes. on the angle of the green, the contour of the green, the defense of the green. Correct. Uh, but you could go out there and feel like you drove the ball the best you ever have in your life and not break 100. <laughs> you're not careful.
1: Well, and, and you're right. And that's why I started out with the Eden uh, hole at Old McDonald's saying you could actually putt to the green. You could putt to the green. The 11th hole. When we stood on the eleventh hole with Mike Kaiser, I remember Mike asking if 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 we had to build a shed <laughs> to to replicate driving around the the road hole uh, wall at, at st andrews and we all laughed and got a kick out of it and what we did was we kept a a big patch of gorse kind of sticking off your right edge of your line of sight that would somehow give you that that feel that you had to play out a little bit left and then back to the right to play the road hole. But the key of the road hole at St. Andrews is the road hole bunker itself. So we focused, most importantly, on the road hole bunker itself. And uh, I have to give props to, to uh, uh, Brian Schneider. Brian Schneider was the, was the shaper who was on site at the time when we were building the road hole bunker. And, you know, he had been there before. All of us had been there before. But he did a really good job of getting the scale right, of getting the elevation right. And we discussed it many times over uh, the, the The consulting group, all of us, George Botto, uh, Brad Klein, Uh, uh, everybody involved, Mike Kaiser. But Brian shaped in a really nice angled road hole green. The important part was the road hole bunker. We made it bigger than the original one at St. Andrews. And so all those those little features, all of the grass mowed tight around it, Jeff, obviously we were not going to build an artificial road behind the road hole bunker and the road hole at Old MacDonald. But we let the ball drop off behind it. Tight turf, you could putt back up. So it had the characteristics of it. But yes, the angles were still important. We did not build a scholar's bunker on the road hole at St. Andrews because we just didn't feel that that was, we had to put everything in exactly as the road hole would be at St. Andrews. So we left out a couple things. But the key was the green, as you said, the green, the angles, the slope, the putt up, uh, and and the road hole bunker itself, Jim. You uh, can I start... jump in
0: here real quick? Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about this, and maybe this is a way to to continue talking about the eleventh hole, or maybe the the sixth, the long hole. When you're doing a concept like Old McDonald, and you're taking really CB McDonald's ideal versions of these holes, so there it's a it's a it's a facsimile in a way that you're interpreting. But some of the some of those holes. Are really dependent on the land. You know, for Alps you need a certain land feature. For a Sahara, you, you need something. Um, uh, for a Redan, you'd like to find a nice landform. So, what Seth Raynor and, and C.B. McDonald would do is, whatever site they're working on, they would try to identify features that were natural and figure out which of their holds worked best against that. But it occurs to me that these three holds from the old course are not reliant on topographical features. So were they? easier to slot into the routing and the whole puzzle than some of the other holes?
1: Well, good question because uh, what we were so proud of building at Pacific dunes was greens that were all on the ground in mostly their original location. And what I mean by that elevation wise, I mean the 16th was there the the, the the second green, I could go on and on. The greens of Pacific Dunes were on the ground. That's what they looked like. All of the greens at Old MacDonald were created in the spirit of MacDonald and Raynor, except for the ninth green, the Cape. We, we followed the ground contours that were already there. So every other green was created. And so your question about the road hole it didn't have a natural perch up of a green in that location. We created that, and and as McDonald and Rayner would have done, they created these features and they used the spirit of of what made the hole so so good—the angles, the the bunkers, the the diagonals. We created those, and that's why when I said uh, Brian Schneider, when he when it was time to create the. The the eleventh grade at Old MacDonald, he got up there, he nailed it, got it. Unfortunately, the wind blew a little bit of the soil off the top of it, and we had to go back and put it in when we were ready to seed it. But he created that, Derek, and it was not there uh, as you saw it today. It was lifted up a couple feet.
2: Jim, that's a really good point too good story but another r- leads to a really good point about the old course when we talk about and praise all this beautiful natural contour that was simply mowed down and it's been there for thousands and thousands of years i mean right now the road hole we're talking about one of the best par fours you know the most most architecture aficionados consider maybe the best par four in the world and i think that alan robertson built that green just like brian schneider did you know well, that, I, I, that road hole green I'm pretty sure is just a big old fill that Alan, Alan Robertson created at some point in the 1800s
1: wasn't it? I don't know that to be a fact but but I do know that uh, when you look at the surrounding topography uh, lifted up from the road behind uh, the road hole at St. Andrews it has a couple feet of, of material on it so created I can't be for sure I'm not a fact checker uh, but I can't say that he didn't. I can't say that he did. But I do know at Old MacDonald, we Derek, we didn't have that exact site there, so we created it, and Brian Snyder did a hell of a job on it.
2: But uh, you're talking about uh, you know some real pioneering architecture. I remember uh, I remember reading somewhere that Alan Robertson had a lot to do with molding that that 17th green. And uh, obviously, you've probably both heard that Tom Morris had a lot to do with, you know, placing the 18th green where it is. Um, and you're talking about contouring we're still admiring and concepts we're still admiring, you know, 200 years later. Agreed. You know, it, it's incredible.
1: Agreed. And when we talk about the sixth hole at Old MacDonald, we were trying, your question was, the, the three holes that we, we were Using for inspiration, McDonald and Raynor created the long hole, the seventh at the National Golf Links of America. I'm sorry, not the seventh. It's the ninth at the National Golf Links of America. The seventh is the road hole. The ninth at the National Golf Links of America is the is the long hole. And they had a version of Hell's Bunker. Well, we knew in order to create the the, the holes that McDonald and Rayner had, had had made important in their style of architecture, one of the holes was long. And so we created that hole in the spirit of the 14th hole of St. Andrews. Our hell bunker was going to, we couldn't duplicate the hell bunker exactly as it was at St. Andrews, the one that Jack Nicklaus made famous by taking two or three strokes to get out of in the open. But we wanted our hell bunker to have its own flair and its own scale and right. Although the yardages are not the same, I think the old course, the 14th hole at the old course long is 530. Ours is um, uh, 5, you know, I can't remember. It's 560, I believe. So we were not trying to duplicate it exactly, but the important parts of the long hole at St. Andrews and what we were trying to do as Old MacDonald was creating Hell Bunker, navigating it, uh, uh, creating what we called um, the the I can't remember the exact name. You can you can help me out with this. I think they were called the Robs Bunkers. Uh, they were a series of bunkers out to the left of the Road Hole. I'm sorry of the uh, of uh, Hell Bunker. Uh, Brian Slonick uh, another talented uh, shaper who worked for us at Old McDonald created these 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 scrapes of, of sand out to the left of Hell Bunker on the sixth at Old McDonald. So we were trying to create those features, knowing that we couldn't duplicate it exactly, but we wanted to create those features that were important to the hole and i think that we did a pretty good job a
2: pretty good job your your hell bunker there is is uh, one of the most memorable bunkers i've ever (laughs) seen in my travels for sure with the big wood sleepers on it it's beautiful yeah but we actually were talking about that bunkering you know 14 as we know at st andrews the long holes uh, you know it's long been considered one of the most strategic (laughs) holes in golf in um, that particular spot at Old Mac is very St. Andrews like, right? It's one of the flatter pieces of the ground where you just got more. If I is that is that correct, Jim? My memory. I'm trying to make sure my memory is right, but it, it's more just like a wrinkled 500 yards that leads you down toward the deal yes. to seven. So my thought too, it brought it just triggered a thought in my head where, you know, again, you asked me earlier about how would. What would you explain to someone, uh, you know, prior to their first visit to St. Andrews that they're going to find, you know, probably shocking? And it's that whole visibility element again. You know, you you play a hole like the 14th at St. Andrews, and you get into certain spots. I mean, you can't see the hell bunker. You can't see you can't see much as you're playing it. Um, which reminds me again that it's a golf course that you just you know you learn about and love more over time question i'm getting at is when in modern architecture we often emphasize the importance of seeing bunkers and seeing other hazards did did, did you guys have any concerns about that when you're building old mac relative to saint andrews clearly when the bunkers were dug in the ground uh, over the course of time at the old course no one really gave too much thought to whether or not you could see it from the t or see it from the ideal spot in the fairway Again, in modern architecture, we often hear that as a, as an important thing. What are your thoughts on that, Jim, relative to old Mac and in general?
1: Well, one of the things that, that Mr. Kaiser, Mike Kaiser wanted to make sure of was that Hell Bunker was not a bunker that consumed the entire width of the fairway. So one of the things I remember asking him, asking me during the during the construction and creation of Old McDonald the sixth hole, he said, "Jim, is there any way that we could that it would change the style of the the importance of long on this hole if we could create a little bit more fairway to the left of hell bunker?" And uh, we did. We we actually have about ninety feet, believe it or not, ninety feet of fairway to the left of hell bunker. That if you wanted to steer around Or as McDonald would say Tack You could tack your way around The the sixth hole at Old McDonald That you could do that So we understood that we had to give people An option to play They had to play around uh, uh, Brian Slonick's beautiful shaped bunkers On the left uh, of the fairway uh, On the sixth hole We wanted to have some people Encounter the road hole I'm sorry the, the hell bunker On the right side of the fairway uh, we wanted uh, an area for people to play to the left side of the fairway you were not going to see the surface of the green if you got too close to hell bunker but if you played farther away or you played to the left of the fairway you could see it there were options there was ways to navigate you didn't have to always be felt like you were you couldn't see where you were going and in the distance a lot of caddies will point out in the distance behind hell bunker there was a blowout in the in the distance of the dunes that if you, some caddies pointed that out. Uh, I gave a tour before they opened Old McDonald, I gave a tour to about 40 or 50 caddies. And I said, if you point them to this blowout in the distance, that would be about the center of the green and that way you can steer them around if they were on the right side. So there was ways to navigate. And Jeff, there was ways to get around those those obstacles and features. And Mike Kaiser made sure that we, we gave every, Uh, every player that the chance to navigate and, uh, and that's so much different than the 14th at St. Andrews. Mm,
2: Well, I've always loved the line. It's only blind once, right? (laughs) And and that, and that's the irony though. You think about these bunkers, you know, not being able to, you know, because the landscape is so vast and so wide and one day you could be left and one day you could be right. There's different things you can see and different things you can't see. Um, You know, it it always reminds me, that that train of thought always reminds me of Tiger in 2000. Like, it's amazing that he went around those 72 holes of the old course, didn't hit into one bunker for 72 holes. And again, speaking on the brilliance of, of the old course, I mean, Tiger obviously studied that golf course he learned that golf course those holes were burned in his mind because there's so many spots you can get to where you may not you know visually see something you have to have that golf course in your brain and again that's such a cool component of or aspect of the uh, of St Andrews right you need to use your mental capacity just as much as your physical prowess and that 2000 open well, the list of winners at St. Andrews, in fact, um, you know, really, really speaks to uh, you know that old cliche again of identifying the best player as well, and the best player being a, a strong mind and a strong body, like Tiger in two thousand.
1: He did navigate, and he did. Uh, 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 he had the ability to steer clear of all of the obstacles that were out there, and he proved his ability to do that. And I. Can you tell? Can you can you believe how much mental control he had to have to not want to pull out the driver on every hole? And and one of the things we thought when creating Old McDonald and the sixth hole along is that we had to have hell bunker as close to equal distance from the green as it is at St Andrews because that was one of the key components. But, yes, Tiger steered it around. He avoided the obstacles. He sometimes didn't hit the driver, three iron, five metal, whatever he played. And that's the same thing you could do on the sixth hole at Old MacDonald. You don't have to hit the driver. You can hit different clubs. You can steer it around. There are ways to navigate. That's the fun of it. It'll never get boring. That's the entertainment value that we look at.
2: Yeah. And I was just going to say another irony, though, is that, you know, most people probably play Old McDonald and the old course at St. Andrews once. Right.
1: Yes. And unfortunately, yeah,
2: exactly, because they're both golf courses that you would learn and end up loving more over time. The more you figure it out, the more you know where to hit it. The, you know the more you remember where that particular bunker was or where that particular slope is um it's you know it's ironic that people don't get to experience these complex places you know as much as say a guy just living in the town of St Andrews in 1910 with a Lynx pass was able to do you know it's uh, it's a very niche. I don't think
0: it's uh, I don't think it's ironic I think it's unfortunate but those places are hard to get great. to and very expensive so that's, well, that's what I mean. It's, yeah, that could be... Uh,
2: meaning that there are golf courses that do invite that kind of study, and most people aren't able to,
0: unfortunately. It's 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 too bad. And you're right, Jeff. As I'm listening to Jim talk about Old McDonald, I'm thinking of all the courses that banned the four courses, five now with with the Sheep Ranch opening up soon. I think that more than any course, Old McDonald would reward what St. Andrews does, and that's repeat play. I think not that every golf course, That the more you play it, the more you learn it. There's more to learn the more you play. But I think that's just in the DNA of a golf course that's using the McDonald template ideal hole concept. Those holes are open-ended. They're open-source codes that you can kind of plug in and move your way around by design. So I'm thinking like I, would, I need to get back to band because at first pass, I thought, yeah, old oh, McDonald's like really cool. But now that I'm thinking about it more, it demands repeat play, just like the old course does. You, you There's more to discover there, I think, potentially, uh, than almost anywhere else.
2: Of all the courses, it's honestly the one that I've thought the exact same. I've thought, I need to get back out there because I want to see this or that again, um, which is a real complement to the complexity of it.
1: And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that everybody's going to love McDonald and Rainer, Rainer templates, and I'm not going to say that everybody will will love the wide openness of, of old McDonald. But what Mike Kaiser did is he provided a golf course in the same setting, on the Pacific Ocean. He did, provided five. What's now going to be five different styles of golf courses that you could play. And I think that's the ultimate compliment to Mike Kaiser is that he provided Bandon Dunes, the David Kidd original. A lot of people love it. Pacific Dunes, uh, the second golf course. Abandoned Trails with Coor and Crenshaw, the third golf course. Old McDonald, the fourth golf course. And now the Sheep Ranch. Every one of those golf courses offers something different, and that's a testament to Mr. Mike Kaiser and the people who were allowed to work and play and create these designs on that coast of, of Oregon. And, Jeff, I could go play McDonald, Old McDonald, a hundred times, a uh, thousand times, but that's because I don't mind what McDonald and Rayner provide as far as those... Template or ideal holes. And Derek is right. Some people will understand it and some people won't. But that's the beauty of golf, that it's not everything looks the same. It
2: it makes me feel um, like I'm playing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm playing over a big, vast landscape rather than individual holes. You know, and that's the same thing that I feel at St. Andrews that's a really nice way to play golf. You know, I think so many golfers think about this corridor. It's so cool to be out there and feel like you're just playing over a landscape to this pin and then that pin and that pin. And there's, you know, you're there's not a, there's not as much of a frame at St. Andrews and again, old Mac in, in uh, you know, is, is another great example of a golf course in that, uh, genre, you know, in that uh, mold. Yeah.
0: It's a great yeah. landscape.
1: You're right, Jeff. There's no framing at Old MacDonald. It's a big, wide-open landscape. It's something different. There's not a tree to steer you. There's not mounding to steer you. There's not bunkers or or fairway lines to steer you. The canvas is open for you to enjoy. Uh, And if I can say, paint your own picture jeff did
0: you have anything else to to finish up with
2: just to add you know that all all of that just speaks to i think a lot of what's been lost in the minds of contemporary golfers you know that spirit of adventure you can't see you didn't know there's a bunker over there you know you didn't know this you didn't know that and you keep playing the golf course you know and i I think it was bobby jones that said um yeah i always forget the quote and i had it kind of Uh, written down here but but, you know bobby bobby jones said something like you know the more you play st andrews the more you get to know it the more you get to know it the more you love it that is i mean is there even a better marketing ploy for the game of golf i mean if you told people that they were going to play golf and the more they got to know the course they were playing the more fun they were going to have the more they were going to love it i mean hey I'd take that uh, marketing scheme right there. I'm surprised more
0: a- more golf courses don't tap well, into that. we come, come, come back from- again. The more you play our golf course, the more you'll love it. Why aren't there more St. Andrews? Yeah. We promise you'll love it more next week than this week.
2: Yeah, that's a nice... Yeah, that'd work. <laughs> I'd show up again. <laughs>
0: right. That's a good one. St. Andrews is essentially, and, and still after all these years, is, is worthy of our discussion and our attention. I enjoyed that. Jeff... Thanks for coming to the salon with Jim and I, Jim. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Derek. Keep going. We'll keep going someday. Thanks guys. All right, Jim. I enjoyed that talk with Jeff Mingay. He's a, he's a really smart guy, really talented and, and he knows his stuff. He knows his history and uh, very illuminating and, and enjoyable discussion on St. Andrews. And one thing that, kept coming back to my mind as we're talking about how how interesting St. Andrews is architecturally and how different it is and whether or not and to what degree you could take the lessons of St. Andrews and mimic it in another golf course. We talked a lot about that, but I kept going back to something that I heard Paul Azinger say in an interview uh, not too long ago, within the last couple of years, and he was asked why when the PGA players and the European Tour players and go and play the Open Championship, why they are willing to accept that kind of quirk those elements those blind shots that they find in the british isles but when they see those types of shots in america on a tour course when gil Hans puts a bunker in the middle of the fairway at tpc boston they go ballistic they can't stand it and paul eisinger's point was when something is old and you encounter it and you know it's been there for a 100 years, Like you don't question it. You accept it because it's old and you don't know what the rationale or the reasoning is behind these strange blind shots or features, so you just accept it. Whereas if you see that on an American golf course, you immediately think, why did this architect intentionally do this? So it, it brings up an interesting point about the relativity of acceptance of design features based on how old and intent and as we know the the old course was i'm not sure if you could say there was really ever intent behind the way it developed
1: well you know you bring up a good point and and i really talk about timeless and the ability to look walk play a golf course as old and has as so much historical value as as the old course at st andrews 500 years, 400 years, uh, that kind of protects it. That protects it from the people who want to say that it's a it's a, a, a folly, uh, it's not real golf. Uh, Timeless uh, is on St. Andrew's side. And it's funny. When I said about Pete saying God built this golf course and then others uh, made it, managed it or made it better or changed it. One of the people I always think about that made a big change to St. Andrews back in the 1800s, Alan Robertson, 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 however you want to say it, when he put the double greens at St. Andrews, the old course, when he uh, decided that he would do double greens, I thought to myself, were people critical of Alan Robertson when he made those changes? right? Were people critical of old Tom Morris when he made his changes? Were c- people critical of a bunker eroding and starting to evolve where people had, had hit it time and time again, and so they figured, well, if this is where people are hitting it, let's go ahead and leave it a bunker. We'll make strategy out of it. Were there critics of that era calling out Robertson, John Lowe, old Tom Morris. And I think probably they were, we just don't read about it.
0: and I, so yeah, I'm going to say yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, I, You're probably right. You're probably right. We just don't read about it. But, you know, time, history. One of the things I remember telling Mr. Pascucci at Sabonic when we were building Sabonic, we were neighbors to two of the most famous golf courses of all time in the U.S., Shinnecock and the National. No matter what we built there, whatever Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Doke and Mr. Pascucci had designed, we were never going to be as good as the National and Shinnecock because we were the new kids on the block. And so, like St. Andrews, And like golf courses of the modern era, when you're the new kid on the block, you are subject to ridicule and critique. And so I know that Sabonic someday will be thought of very highly because it's the new kid on the block. Its neighbor happens to be my favorite golf course, the National Golf Links of America. It will have critics. It will have people who want to... uh, Change, alter, adjust—to we assume make it better. But St. Andrews, it has four, five hundred years on its side, and uh, I want—I want people to experience it for another five hundred years. Yeah,
0: and hopefully, there is golf <laughs> in another four hundred years. But I want—it's it, an interesting question: how long? Yeah, is. That's what makes a course like Sandhill so remarkable. But then again, it didn't have any neighbors that it had to come in and compete with for, in that style of golf. But it made a big splash initially. But yeah, I, I think that's a very good point about about um, accepting timelessness and, and age and the importance of having that. And Sabonic will get there.
1: <laughs> Sabonic will get there, and there will be golf courses that are built next to the sand hills, and there are golf courses that are built next to the sand hills. But there is only one sand hills and there's only one Augusta National, and there's only one Cypress Point, and all the others will have a hard time if they're trying to be like Augusta, trying to emulate after the Sandhills. They will always suffer that, that uh, new kid on the block, and, and someday they'll be accepted, and St. Andrews has been accepted a long time ago, as you said, people are afraid to criticize. Maybe that blind bunker or that blind
0: shot. I wonder how the Eden Course or the New Course would be viewed now if the old course didn't exist. If those were like the two primary courses at St Andrews, would they be <laughs> held in higher <laughs> esteem? They're they're great courses. People love them, but you know, would there be a? Would we realize that they weren't? as good as the old course if we didn't have the old course
1: man you 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 just continue to create those questions that can't be answered (laughs) no because when i go to saint andrews i don't think to go the eden course i really don't i still haven't grasped grasped all that the old course has to offer so i'll continue to go back there are several golf courses in and around saint andrews uh, Ely, uh, London Links, uh, several other golf courses, uh, uh, North Berwick. That, yes, I would love to go see them time and time again. But when I'm at, when I'm in that area, Old Course first, North Berwick second, Ely, London Links, uh, several of those other golf courses third and fourth. I never think to play the other golf courses. Is that fair? Probably not. Maybe I should go try them out, but I know what captures my attention and the old course does. And maybe if the Eden course was the first course, it would have captured the attention of the world. But for now, and for me, the old course does that.
0: You know, the sort of the central theme in our talk with Jeff was in what ways has the old course, you know, been replicated, have the lessons been reproduced? And it goes back to the fundamental question that the the people in his, that he was giving the presentation to, the younger people who didn't have firsthand experience with it, they said, if it's so great, why hasn't why isn't there anything else like it? Why hasn't, you know, someone to tried to, to duplicate it? And of course they have in different ways, but the central conceit with that is that it ha- kind of hasn't been done, and I, I guess maybe now that I'm reflecting on the talk, perhaps we have absorbed everything that Saint Andrew's has to offer. Perhaps we do understand its lessons. It would be a mistake, as we talked about, to try to literally represent it for a variety of reasons. But maybe, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe that's not the right question to ask. It was a good question to ask, and we talked about it, and it got us thinking about the, the old course in a lot of different ways. But isn't it possible that that we have? learned what there is to learn from the old course as it applies to the way we build golf courses. Hasn't it, hasn't it done enough? You know,
1: you just keep asking these questions, these questions that can not be answered in five minutes that can be debated for hours and hours and hours. And yes, maybe we have learned enough. uh, Maybe we have learned our lesson from the old golf course, the old course of St. Andrews. But for me, I'll continue to learn. For me, I'll continue to explore. For me, I'll continue to seek out what made this place so random, so unique, and so unifiably one, the only one, the old course of St. Andrews. And maybe, maybe there shouldn't be another one. Maybe Jeff's question to his students was hypothetical, and really he didn't want the answer to say yes or no. He just draw, he wanted to draw some other aspects of thinking out of his students that he was lecturing, and maybe that's all you need to do, is to get us to think about the other ways we can make golf course fun and entertaining. Maybe that's all that needs to be known about it, fun and entertaining.
0: Yeah, and as you just said, when you go to Scotland, you make a beeline for the old course, so clearly it does have lessons still to give more to learn more to incorporate uh and it's a good reference and it's a good touchstone to have to when we get on wayward paths some of us at certain times it's good to have that touchstone to go back to and remind us of maybe i guess we call them first principles in golf design jim i'm going to give you the last word on this episode
1: well you know i think after discussing with jeff about the game the golf course the old course all that it had to offer. One of the things that I thought, and I, and I somewhat got bothered by the term of, of score, I have never felt that keeping score was the only way to judge a golf course. I felt that having fun and hitting shots and playing a match was the, or was an alternative way to enjoy a golf course. I think not only do you have the spirit of competition between each other, you and I Derek or Jeff and I, and and we do have the spirit of competition between us and the golf course. I think there should be a happy medium between the score and the game and the fun and the walk that all should be have the equal amount of play time so that it's not only the score that you shoot it's not only the match that you played it's not only the fun that you had or as Weather and simpson said uh, navigating obstacles and, and finding success i think they should all be equally measured and that's all that i would ask anybody that goes out and plays golf make sure that you're having fun make sure that you're enjoying and navigating obstacles and make sure that even when you're playing, if the score isn't what you wanted it to be that day, that you en- you enjoyed yourself, you enjoyed the walk, and you enjoyed the spirit of the game. That's all.
0: Well said, and we hope that everyone listening is enjoying the talks that Jim and I are having with our guests. Jim, we'll do it again soon. Thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for the great discussion.
1: It's a blast. It's such a blast. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone.